following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. It is Minute 72 of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you this this just balmy, really hot night? Well, Brad, considering all life as we know it may come to an end in exactly 14 hours, 9 minutes, and 20 seconds, I'm strangely calm. It's a, it's sort of a relief when you know. You just want to know. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Boy, Zarkov really gets it down to the second, so, you know, it's, that, that, that's helpful. That's He's helpful. a genius. He's a genius. Speaking of geniuses, we have a fantastic guest with us this week. Eric, who's joining us this week? We have from two podcasts, Reopening the Wormhole and Marvel Star Wars Explorers, Sam Stovold. Welcome to the Flash Gordon Minute Studios. Thank you so much, guys. I have never been called a genius before, and I will do my best to live up to that uh, that, that praise. <laughs> oh, crap. It's all downhill for me now, isn't it? I screwed up. <laughs> I, I, I should lower everyone's expectations. It's like, hey, someone here who can barely speak the language, and is the, you know. Then everyone's yeah. pleasantly surprised. Yeah, just blow all their minds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, super excited to be on. Um, been, am I allowed to say that I had not seen the movie prior to this? <laughs> uh, you're not the first guest, so go ahead and say it, yeah. Okay, well, I just, you know, I, I watched it for the first time, and I gotta say that I feel like I really hit the jackpot with uh, my minutes that are coming up here, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you have a great week, absolutely. Really? And uh, and uh, just in case people uh, uh, notice, uh, recognize Sam's last name, about eh, five, six weeks ago, his brother Jack was on here, and so Sam and Jack now are officially the first siblings to be guests on our show, and uh, Jack seemed a little angry at the minutes Sam got, so we might have contributed <laughs> to a sibling rivalry here. All well. right. That's that, that's Flash Gordon Minute screwing up family <laughs> Thanksgivings. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't have it any other way. But right now we're going to dive right into Minute Seventy Two and uh, Eric uh, recap us. What happens in Minute Seventy Two of Flash Gordon? Right. So as I alluded to, uh, Zarkov tells Dale uh, to down to the second exactly how long it'll be before the moon crashes into the Earth. Um, Dale does seem a bit upset, although not quite as upset as you would think someone would be. Zarkov is very uh, technical and uh, just cold and unemotional about it. But then, some happiness as they are reunited with Flash, and Dale goes and gets a big hug, and there's Voltan with his arms all out, big smile like he's officiating a wedding. And uh, Dale tells uh, uh, Flash, oh, if I got stories to tell you, which just seems, you know, a little bit too strange and chipper considering the news she just was told about 15 seconds ago about the Earth's fate. Yeah. It, yeah she's like, she's making it sound like she ran into Paul McCartney. Uh, <laughs> something that she's sort of happy about and it's like, oh, this is crazy as opposed to, 
avoided the date raping thing uh, <laughs> and found out the entire everyone that you know and love is going to die really soon. So, uh, yeah, yeah. She's, um, I don't think she has really the right tone you would expect. Uh, it, it might be just trying to put a smile on bad news. It'd be great if she just like, well, you want the bad news or the good news first? Because, uh, you know, the bad news is really bad. <laughs> Uh, that's something I actually I, I really appreciate about this movie is how much once they get off of Earth, it's like let's just push that behind us. That's like maybe that's a lingering threat throughout the whole rest of the movie, but don't think about it that much. You don't care about Earth. Like we're you're all in at, at this point, right? If you're this far in the movie, like, <laughs> yeah, I, it, that's a good point. I mean, until Zar- I mean, obviously it becomes a big plot point in the final battle when with the the ticking clock, but until. Zarkov mentions it here that he's calculated the time. Do they even mention this since they have left the Earth? This whole, you know, the actual, the literal Earth, literally the planet as a whole is in peril. I think this is the first time it comes back up. It's, it's. I think it's the first time that it, at least Flash has even thought about it. He's more like, let's beat up Ming as opposed to let's save Earth. Zarkov, I guess he had a little bit of that when he was... Uh, when he was about ready to have his, you know, his uh, mind wiped, and you remember Zing, Ming was telling Zing, Ming was telling <laughs> him th- that the reason they're destroying the planet is because of Zarkov. But yeah, even that was still Zarkov just feeling bad because he screwed up. Not, uh, you know, I, I want to save, you know, my parents or anything like that. So, <laughs> y- yeah, they don't. You know what? They really aren't taking this too seriously. They're not really concerned about the things that you would think they should be concerned about. At no point, I think, up at this point in the movie, there, there's not even any real uh, desperation to get home or anything like that. Uh, they're taking everything in stride, which I, actually works for the movie. If, if there was, if it was too maudlin, if it was too much of Flash, you know, drinking in a dingy bar because he can't, you know, he doesn't know how to get home and get back to the Jets, you know, and that might be it right there. It's like, ah, I don't have to play for the Jets anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say, just as a as an audience member seeing this movie for the first time, I like the the way that Earth is represented in this movie, which is just basically like a empty airfield and then like a mad scientist's uh, <laughs> like greenhouse or whatever. I didn't feel any particular rush to get back there. I wasn't, it was not something I was interested in returning to because I was, at first I had some trepidations. I was like, I don't know about this movie. And then once they get into, you know, once the rocket takes off and that psychedelic queen music kicks in, it's like, Oh, okay. This is now, this is what I'm looking for, but I don't particularly care about earth and I don't care that the, uh, the characters in the movie don't particularly care about Earth. (laughs) It's just a lot more fun that way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You sort of you bring up the music, and we don't have Queen music in this minute, but we do have a great uh, Howard Blake music flourish. When Flash and Dale see each other, they rush into each other's arms, and you have just the big, just big music happening, and it's very um, old style. Uh, he sweeps her in his arms, music, and it's a great music cue. It's this sort of thing that our friend Howard Blake has done so well throughout the entire movie. Knowing how to hit those emotional uh, beats with his music, and uh, I was just and Dale has this great flowing 
outfit on, so it looks like it's getting swept up in the wind as they spin around. It, it's awesome, and uh, it's such a great throwback detail that happens in, in, in this minute, and uh, it, it was, a, it was a, just a great little piece in the middle of this minute. Yeah, this is Howard Blake number 32, and uh, my note for that, that little flourish there uh, was it's like something out of the love boat. Uh, By the way, thank you for bringing up Love Boat. Has anyone from this movie appeared in Love Boat? Oh, oh, I I want. I mean, that would have would have been right up Sam Jones' alley, right? I mean, I don't know that he did though. (laughs) Yeah, Sam Jones or Melody Anderson? Or Melody Anderson? Yeah. Yeah, It seems like that should have happened. Gosh, to uh, our younger listeners, Love Boat was a. was a show where every week they'd go on a cruise and they would have different guest stars, usually Charo. Uh, <laughs> feels like Charo was on a whole lot. And, uh, yeah, they, they would always have, how do I put this nicely, stars who may not have been exactly at their peak. So uh, it, it, it seems like people who were sort of underemployed, the show ran from 77 to 87, so it seemed like it would make sense that at some point, Melody Anderson or Sam Jones would uh, would have showed up. So, but I don't know. It's... So I'm I'm not actually terribly familiar with Love Boat. I mean, can, like I know of the concept of it, but I've not really ever seen a full episode. Would you say that it was a mix of Rising and Falling Stars, or is it basically just Falling Stars? I think it was Rising Stars, and I, you know what else? I also I think that they biggest stars would have been people who were also on other TV shows at the time. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe, like, Eric Estrada from Chips might have been on an episode. You know, that kind of stuff also. Yeah, and here's the thing. What people don't realize is there just weren't that many shows at that <laughs> <Yeah>. point. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, on one hand, it was oh, it was a crappy show, and they were has-beens. It's like, well, when there's only three channels showing original programming, you're gonna take what you can get. It's not like you can go to you know you can sign up for a Netflix program or anything like that. There, there's so many different ways for people to go. So uh, if you had the chance to get on TV, and so many more people watch TV, then you know, 20 million people would watch a show, and it wouldn't be that successful. Um, now, if five if five million people watch it. A show, and they're in the right age range. It's considered it's a show that can last five, six years. It also be a thing where a lot of times they would be, they would either be has-beens or they would, be, or they would be a musician or something like that. So, I don't know. It's sort of a weird math where you can be sort of at the top of your game, and if you're a musician, then you'll show up in the love boat, and it doesn't hurt your cred. <laughs> so, uh, while we're having this conversation, I just checked everyone's IMDb. Melody Anderson nor Sam Jones never appeared on The Love Boat, which uh, is a missed opportunity. And I can confirm that while you were doing that, I was looking up Ryan Blessed and Topol, and neither one of them were on The Love Boat either. Uh. <laughs> I could have seen Topol. I could have seen Topol. About Max Monsanto. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. I don't even have to look that one up. <laughs> uh, be great, though. <laughs> You don't see shows like that anymore where it's just these weird light light comedy, light drama, uh, where they just have 20 guest stars on every episode. The most you have is, I guess, you'll have their um, uh, Law & Order, and they'll have 
special guest star, you know, somebody who used to, you know, Zach from Hey by the Bell will appear on an episode here or there. <laughs> but it's, it's, the shows aren't made up of that. But this isn't Love Boat Minute. No. Oh, God, that would be crazy. Uh, this is Flash Gordon Minute. You called it out, Eric. Fulton is so, Fulton is so happy in the so background. Happy. Oh my god, I love it! <laughs> like, what is he so happy about? Is he <laughs> does he just get like swept up in the emotion of a moment, no matter what it is? Because like, he his arms just he throws his arms up wide. He's just like, oh, I've brought you together, even though I'm like about to make one of you, you know, fight to the death. He just doesn't even care. He's got this huge smile on his face, and I think that we're all blessed by brain blessed. <laughs> we, we we are. It, and it's, I don't even think he's acting. I just think Brian Bliss is having so much fun. He's like, ah, oh, you know, I get to show my legs. I'm, I'm having a good time. You know, the, the buffet is fully stocked behind, so I'm going to just really <laughs> fill up. Uh, he just seems so happy, and all this is going on. And, uh, and then an amazing moment happens. Dale and Flash, they get engaged. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, oh, boy. <laughs> I, you know, I know Flash makes the, the, this comment about, you know, we'll tell our kids. You know, I figured that was just, you know, kind of a goofy comment. But, I mean, Dale says, hey, I just got engaged. Yeah, which I, I have to think, like, Flash is like, whoa, whoa, who said anything about marriage? I'm just talking about pumping some babies in me. Let's, 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 let's uh, you know, put a, pump the brakes. <laughs> yeah, he, he wants to do a, what was it, Roger Cromartie? Uh, the football player with a lot of kids. Antonio Cromartie uh, was a professional football player, uh, he cornerback, and he has, I'm just checking, 14 children. Wow. He's 34. Wow. This is like so, a current thing that is happening in the world? Yeah. So oh. there was, there, there's an amazing piece of video out there where uh, a reporter asked him to name his kids. But it's amazing because, like, at that point, I don't know how many kids he had, but he had, like, six kids that were all two years old. <laughs> and none of them yeah. twins? <laughs> no, 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 none of them twins. I think there were six kids, and I don't, I don't even know how this is possible. I think they had seven different moms. I don't even know how he did it. It was crazy. And it was just like, well, there's, you know... There's Joey, he's two, there's Sarah, she's going to be two next month, and then there's Fred, uh, just uh, almost going to be three soon. It's like, dude, just, just at that point, you just take a weed whacker to yourself, because you cannot keep doing this. Uh, so yeah, hey, that's, I think that's what Flash had to mind, is like, yeah, we'll have some kids. Yeah, no, I'll have some kids with some other people, but she, uh, no, but in fairness, Dale accepts. Flash seems really happy with it, um, possibly he might already know that the world's going to end in 11 hours, so why not get engaged? <laughs> um, so this moment, I I mean, I sort of love it for being as corny as it is, but I will say that it is one of the things that took me out of the movie more than anything up to this point. <laughs> was just, for one thing, just Flash thing, save it for our kids. I was like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, <laughs> what the heck? You barely... You, barely know this person like you've known them for two days that you've mostly been separated from each other during or i don't even know if it's been two days exactly but anyways yeah. and and then her immediate response is oh i accept and it so i was just like well where 
where is this coming from? It just very much blew my mind. Like, I mean, it didn't take me out of the movie in like a really bad way because I, I like I like how corny and goofy it is. But just this part, I was like, it just sort of really took me aback. Yeah, it was a little, and it feels like it just happened. They put it in the script. Just as they have the next great line where they're separating them, they're gonna setting up the combat, and Dale gets to say the line, "Wait a minute, we just got engaged." Yes, with that I love. So <laughs> I, I'm line. I'm back on board at that point. So it was a very brief moment of uh, <laughs> of doubt that I, I faced. Yeah, but, you yeah. could cut that that ten second exchange out, and it literally would not affect the rest of the movie at all. No, you, you just lose a good punchline. Right. Um, yeah. So it's and it's a really good punchline. But yeah, no, <laughs> no, no huge complaints here. I'm I'm for the most part all for it. So <laughs> and it's also amazing just how quick we get to the combat. A lot happens in this minute. You go from Zarkov being cocky, almost so pleased with himself that he got down. He figured out the numbers of when the world will end. Um, and then you have this reunion that escalates real quick to an engagement, and then, <laughs> all right, time for combat. It's like, whoa, let's let's let some of this breathe, folks. But uh, they 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 want to get to that fight, and I we have a really good, uh, a really fun fight coming up. And actually, the in a lot of ways, the last really great these minutes this week sort of represent. Uh, Sam Jones' last big action stuff in this movie. There's cool action stuff that happens, but it, it's funny. Uh, uh, as you sort of review this minute by minute, and we've been putting the videos together to share with our guests so they can know know what's going up. Sam Jones uh, does a lot of like grimacing while sitting in a chair after these minutes, and that makes up a lot like a lot of what Flash does. That's true. I hadn't even that hadn't even occurred to me. So I'm especially honored. <laughs> um, Eric, w- w- what other notes do you have on minute 72? Well, so yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 disc, the fighting disc. You know, this is a this is a big part of the movie. Everybody uh, loves this part. Um, and you know, you know, looking in universe here, this is Voltan's main hall. So you know, this this area that they're in now, this is where they get their entertainment. You know, this is his Colosseum in Rome, basically. So. The Hawkmen have wings, so this disc is not a danger to the Hawkmen. So the disc's actual usual purpose, considering that spikes come out of it and it tilts, and it's not actually anything that would really scare or be a danger to the Hawkmen themselves, leads me to believe that, considering it is Voltan's main entertainment hall, it's got to be they capture people from other Mongo races, other Mongori, and make them fight to the death here, and it's their big form of entertainment on Hawkman City. I don't think it would surprise me <laughs> to hear that. They it, it's they seem to be, I don't know, they seem to be sort of into that whole gladiator-type approach to life. And I, I'm i not like a Flash Gordon expert or anything, but it seems like they've got a pretty uneasy alliance, like all these different factions, so... Yeah, it wouldn't doesn't seem like a surprise to me that they'd be having people fighting to the death on this this disc all the time. Which really? kind of makes it makes you wonder why you know some other 
Mongoli race hasn't just said, you know, screw these Hawkmen, let's just take them all out, unless <laughs> uh, you know, unless Ming, you know, forbids it or something. Well, it would also be hilarious if uh, there was just a, there was some note or it's like, yeah, you know, that really doesn't help us. That thing's they actually blow off cobwebs and dust because they dust because they haven't used the tilty thing for a while. Yeah, sort of like the mechanical bull at Moe's Tavern. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> gotta brush this off. We haven't used it in a while. It doesn't really help us. We realize we all can fly. So you know, there's actually some some logic issues that we have. Um, you know, that we'll talk about in later minutes where, you know, for, for a group of people that can fly, they, some of the stuff doesn't make sense, you know, like yeah. a tilty thing or that they have like the, the, the sky cycle is like, hey, why do you need that? Because everyone here can fly. Save it. Save it. Hey, save, uh, just <laughs> save give it everyone a little taste. Every, give it a little taste. Well, as a kid, I didn't, I actually, I didn't grasp as a kid that that is the sky beneath them under that surrounds this. I thought it was some kind of weird vortex or something like that because of all the crazy colors of the Mongo sky. I yes. didn't even figure that out till I was older. Those sky effects. <laughs> <laughs> I love them so much. Oh yeah. We talk about the sky a lot. And you can, you can see it all out through the, the window of the great hall that they're in too. Like you get some, some nice shots of, and I, I just want to say, I, I didn't really totally know what to expect coming into this movie. Um, I was sort of imagining kind of watered-down Star Wars. <laughs> and um, I was so excited. I'm a huge Barbarella fan, and I was like, oh, my wow. God, this movie is yeah. a Barbarella sequel. Sure, <laughs> like, absolutely. Like, they just are, like, matching the effects and the sets and the costumes. It's, it feels so much like Barbarella to me, and I was just thrilled when i realized that and that goes it's like all the sky effects it's the same thing it's like like space isn't space it's like weird colors of oil being like mixed together and that type of thing and clouds are it, it's like living in a lava lamp or something <laughs> yeah it's barbarella without the nudity this movie basically yeah yeah it's <laughs> which you know holds up surprisingly well yeah <laughs> Well, it's it's crazy. This is the first time someone's mentioned Barbarella on this podcast. Yeah, I think and you're are right. you kidding me? I think yeah. you're right. Wow, that I just I was like, oh, I'm sure people mention this all the time, but I have to mention it. I can't believe it's never come up. This the whole movie to me seems so much like Barbara, like the Hawkman. Like give give me total Pygar vibes uh, for one thing. Like I, I mean, I can't talk about it too much, but just like when you see them all like flying around in the sky, it's like this looks just like Pygar. Well. Can I just say, Pygar, do you guys, are you familiar with that, that familiar with Barbarella, or am I just speaking uh, nonsense right I now? I mean, I, I saw the movie once, like, 20 years ago, uh, ah. so I remember just, like, a few bits and pieces, like, I remember some guy in a water tank trying to breathe or something like that. So, uh, there's a guy with wings, though, right? Is that who you're yeah. talking about? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Pygar, he looks like an like a angel guy. Okay, yeah, I remember him, yeah. It's, to people aren't familiar, and I don't it's a weird movie where uh, Barbarella, sort of a space sex comedy uh, action camp fest, a very young, stunningly gorgeous uh, Jane Fonda, um, who has has had one of the weirdest careers ever. Um, she, she's an Oscar-caliber actress that also does some really broad comedy, but also does some really crazy experimental uh, foreign art films and very open and 
also a very controversial figure, uh, part of this hugely successful and well-known acting families, but then also, uh, yeah, was the, there's a wonderful show called uh, a wonderful podcast called You Must Remember This, which basically goes into like you know the dark history of Hollywood, and they did a bunch of episodes on Jane Fonda and uh, fascinating personality, and uh, you know they talk about Barbarella, and it was it seems to be one of those movies that everyone knows the name, uh, but not a lot of people have watched. I know for the longest time Drew Barrymore was trying to get it remade uh, so she can star with star in it, and also <laughs> for a period of time Rose McGowan wanted to star in a remake uh, with Robert Rodriguez directing. and That would have been fun. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez, that seems like a movie that could be, in, in an interesting way, in his wheelhouse. Um, I don't know. I, I think any more mixing sex and sci-fi in that manner isn't the easiest sell anymore. It, it, it's got name value, so I'm betting someday it'll be redone. It'll be interesting to see who they could get to do that. I don't know. Is it Jennifer Lawrence? <laughs> oh, I don't see her doing that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem totally like her thing to me. Yeah. Either. Um, I don't know, though. I would be curious. I, I I don't see it coming out anytime soon, and it seems like it would have to be some sort of uh, of-the-moment actress, so maybe maybe we don't know who it is yet. But Or, you know what? It seems like something more likely to be done as like a Netflix show. I was almost going to say something like that. But if they did it as a Netflix show, they would give it kind of, I bet they would give it like a sort of dark reboot or something like that. And not necessarily saying that would be a bad thing, but it would be completely different from what makes Barbarella so fun and appealing to me. Yeah. All right, but very good. So we got a chance to talk Barbarella. That's uh, that, that, that's the crazy directions. Uh, Flash Gordon minute goes on. Um, <laughs> Eric, what other notes do you have? If you look in the background throughout this minute, there's a lot of hawk people turning and tilting their heads in, in bird-like motions uh, over the course of this minute. And I wanted to call out one in particular. As, as Biro throws the whips onto the disc, there is a blonde woman on the left of the screen, and she's practically dancing. She's, like, doing a little dip. She sways her head, like, really just overly dramatically so. In, in, a, in a minute where we're really getting lots and lots of bird-like motions she particularly stands out it's like right at the end of the minute like minute 56 a second 56 57 58 so i want to i want to call her out you know good job whoever whoever you are <laughs> good luck good job bird girl good job bird girl i would love to know who trained the actors in their bird motions there is a consistency to everything uh especially we had in sort of previous moments where you had uh, a couple of the Birdmen guards who were all making the same cooing sound and had uh, similar sort of head movements. And, and it feels like they had, uh, it, and I hope this was the case, that they had someone come in, like some sort of bird expert, or, you know, possibly bringing a pigeon in with him to you know, give them a <laughs> class on bird motions. This probably Please, did not happen, but it would be awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sort of like uh, when you know when they were working on uh, Lion King, they would bring you know actual lions into the artist studio so they could study it. And it's like, huh, this would be a great story if some of these people got eaten just because there's no reason to bring a lion into a studio. So yeah, I, I, I would love to know if there was somebody who was brought in some sort of bird expert. So that'd be great. 
And then if you brought in a completely inappropriate bird, it's like, we don't need penguins. We, we don't need penguins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> peacocks or something like that, just sort of <laughs> milling about the studio, bothering everybody while they're trying to work. <laughs> All right. Uh, very good. Uh, other notes, Eric? Two more. Uh, just Howard Blake, number 33, as uh, as they bang the gong and throw the whips, there's a little dramatic tension-building music there. And uh, I brought this up before uh, about how when I would watch the show on broadcast TV growing up, there would be some weird edits that they would do to fit it into the two-hour time slot. And so... and, and it, by the way, if anyone else remembers these edits that, I'm, that, I've, that I've brought up in the past or today, let us know about it on Facebook. I, I can't be the only one that remembers this. So this one is, is really the, the worst one they would do. Some of the edits would cut from Baron is talking to Fico uh, on Arborea, and they're talking about how he knows a way he can kill Flash without getting in trouble with Aura. So then... It, it cuts there, and, and then it goes. It takes out anything related to Flash or Baron. After that point, we get you know the aura torture. We get Zarkov and Dale escaping, getting brought to the Hawkman City, and then we go immediately to the Hawkman banging the gong and Voltan announcing to the death. So, <laughs> so they the, go right the, from the, the all implication. That the yeah, yeah, the implication of the edit is that Baron says, "I know a way to kill Flash without getting troubled aura," and that his way is to bring him to Hawkman City and fight him to the death, which means no tree stump battle, no no swamp escape, no plant monster. All that is completely wiped out, and it implies that that's the way that he thought he could get rid of Flash. And I always would hate it when that is the edit that I would version I would watch when I'd watch it on TV, because who the hell wants to miss all that stuff? Because, again, it wasn't always the same, depending on which channel I was watching it on, they cut out different parts to make it fit the two hours. And I always hated when that's the version that was on. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> why would you, Why would you take, like, you're watching a Flash Gordon movie so you can see all that kind of stuff, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, yep. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I can't believe, what a, what a weird bummer. <laughs> You know, and it just seems so weird to cut anything out. There's, there's very little, there's nothing overt that's inappropriate. There's stuff that you think about or you have that sort of the wisdom of being an adult. And it's like, oh boy, that's, that's weird. Uh, and we've certainly had those conversations during the run of this show. But there, there's a, you know, it's not like Blazing Saddles. I get why they edit Blazing Saddles when it shows on network TV. I mean, good lord. And, well, the, uh, well, the edits for Flash, it wasn't for content. It was to fit the two-hour, you know, because the, the, the movie's an hour 51. And so they want, you know, they were looking, they had to fit it in a two-hour time block. So to fit in the commercials, they had to cut out, you know, 10, 15 minutes of the movie to make it fit into the two-hour time block. That's what the cut was for. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, and this was frustrating. When, when it's for time constraints, it just feels so silly. And I get, and, and I know people got to make money, but. It's a uh, it's a little frustrating. This has been a great minute, great start to the week. You know, we, we're so lucky to have a another Stovald with us, uh, Sam. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, you know, trying to clear your family name. Uh, <laughs> I do what I'm doing what I can. Tell us, you got two excellent podcasts. Uh, please please share what uh, what you 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 you're up to. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, uh, listeners who remember my brother Jack's minutes, I'm sure have heard about reopening the wormhole, which is our Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast in which we are watching the show in random order, which is a delight. 
And uh, we're about a little over 130 episodes in at this point, so there's plenty to catch up on if you're interested in that. Um, and also, if you're into comic book versions of spacefaring heroes, which, you know, it could be your thing <laughs> if you're listening to Flash Gordon Minute, uh, me and a friend are doing a podcast called Marvel Star Wars Explorers in which we are going through all the um, original 70s and 80s uh, comics that were released by Marvel uh, that are set in the, the Star Wars universe. And right now we're just about, at the time of this recording, we're just heading into 1980, so we're almost going to be uh, lined up with you guys here in <laughs> Flash Gordon awesome. Minute. Nice. You're, you're at the Empire Strikes Back issues then. Uh, almost there, yeah. Nice. I, I think we're on... Uh, issue well at the time of this recording we're about to do issue 31 and Empire Strikes Back I think is issue 40 so a couple months away but yeah yeah I was excited I was excited to learn about your podcast because I I have the entire Marvel run of Star Wars the full 107 issues plus the three annuals plus the four issue Return of the Jedi adaptation so uh, I, I definitely will be delving into your podcast uh, well, we'll be excited to have you because you have more than I do. I definitely do not have all 170 issues. I, I, I work off of trade paperbacks when I'm missing mm -hmm. them, and we we have most of them. But um, yeah, it's it's really fun when we have the old issues because we can actually talk about um, you know like letters that people send in and stuff like that. And there are a lot of people, especially in the early days, that are uh, always bringing up Flash Gordon. It's like wow, this is, like, even better than Flash Gordon. Or it's like, well, this, this wasn't quite as good as Flash Gordon stories that I'm familiar with and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's fun to dive back into, the, back into the world of the late 1970s. <laughs> Very cool. Well, is, uh, there, where's the best place to, where our listeners can go to find out more about what you're doing? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, well, we're on most of the podcatchers uh, that... People use, you know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all that stuff. But, um, yeah, as far as uh, Reopening the Wormhole, we do also have a website at reopeningthewormhole.com. And then uh, also marvelstarwarsexplorers.com. And we're on Facebook, too, Facebook and Instagram. So, yeah, we're, you know, all the usual spots. You can now, find Sam, us. I I, I don't want to contribute more to the sibling rivalry, so I'm going to have to give you the same tough treatment I gave Jack. Oh, sorry. I, I I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Okay, I'll go easy. Don't bite me. Somebody's fighting for me. <laughs> there, there's fireworks uh, going off, and my dog's <laughs> freaking out. Is that what that was? Uh, yeah. I thought it was Sam's dog to, you know, get pissed at me. Uh, for, uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, Brad's dog. I'm sorry. Uh, I uh, made Jack answer a Deep Space Nine slash Flash Gordon-related question each episode he was on. So I'm going to have to do the same thing to you in the issue of fairness. Ooh, so interesting. Uh, we, we call the, the people who live uh, in Mongo the Mongori. So which Mongori do you think would make the best host for a trill? Okay, so let me think about what we have. We've got the... And forgive me for not knowing all the names, but yeah, sure. the uh, Timothy Dalton, the Ch Prince Baron of the Ar Arborea, right? They're Arborians. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Hawkman. And um, let's see, who else we got? We have got Aura. You've got Clytus, uh Ming himself. Oh, okay. So we're talking like specific characters. Oh, sure. Yeah. Even a lizard man, whatever. Whoever you think it would be. Sure. Oh, God, those lizard men. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends. Like, what is the trail trying to be like an acceptable member of society or. 
sorry, let me just go real deep with this. Um, I feel like the Trill would be able... I mean, Trills, usually they want to... They take over new hosts in order to sort of gain knowledge and experience and have new experiences and that type of thing. So I think... Um, hmm. Maybe... And uh, might be kind of spoilers, but maybe like Princess Aura, because it looks like she's going to be in a position to um, wield a lot of power <laughs> by the end of the movie. Yeah. And uh, she'll sort of be like somebody that is um, potentially interacting with all the members of the various um, <laughs> various kingdoms. In, in more and... ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and, um, yeah, which also, I mean, we've seen some, some trills that are pretty sexually open in that regard. So just off the top of my head, that's where I'm landing. Maybe I'll change my mind throughout the week. Who knows? I'll try not to, but, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. All right. Wasn't that a big deal with Deep Space Nine where, uh, because of the trills that there was actually... Uh, the first female same-sex kiss in, in like a mainstream TV show, um, because of uh, the, the young woman. The whole thing is the trail was in, it, it not possessed the the female character who used to be a man and found her former love, and the, the two characters kiss, and that was a big, big deal. I remember that was. There's quite a few news stories about that just because it was uh, – and, 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 folks, I know that's hard to believe now because it wasn't that long ago. And we're now in an era where same-sex kisses in primetime television isn't – is something that people barely blink about anymore. But that was a huge deal when it happened. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that episode, as far as, like, the public consciousness goes, it might be, like, the most famous – episode of deep space nine like one of the ones that people are most familiar with and um yeah it, it's it's something where dax who is the main trill character throughout the show like when she was previously the husband of somebody who was her previous wife and then like they're it's like a couple lives later and they're meeting each other again and they find out that they're still in love but now they're both women and it it's a pretty cool thing where it it doesn't even occur to them that the issue it's basically it's Classic Star Trek sci-fi, where it's like a forbidden love because of Trill society, but it's a stand-in for you know forbidden uh, homosexual love in our society. So it's it, it's a really good one. Yeah, that's uh, I love Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that episode was uh, called Rejoined. It was like the seventy-eighth episode of that show, and that was uh, really daring. Um, and I believe the actress who played the love interest, uh, what was her name? Susanna Thompson, uh, yes, who yeah. played um, Mara Queen, uh, Oliver's mom on Arrow. Uh, wonderful actress. So, yeah, very cool. Um, all right, excellent. Well, uh, we recommend everyone check out your shows. Uh, very, very cool stuff, which we'll talk about more over the next few uh, few few episodes. Uh, Eric, where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? Uh, well, they can join us on our fan book on our fa- on our fan book on our fan page on Facebook, uh, the Flash Gordon Minute Listeners Vortex. We're on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod, and our email address is flashgordonminute at gmail dot com. Uh, we ask everyone to give us uh, your ratings and reviews on iTunes. The more ratings and reviews we get, 
the better visibility we have. Uh, and, you know, recommend us. Tell your friends about it. We've been having a great time, and uh, we love our listeners, and we want more people to join the fun. Uh, so, Eric, this has been another great episode. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this week. We're, we're just having a great time. But I, but, but, but I have a little bit of a problem on the homestead. The homestead, like, like, uh, like in Bonanza, the Ponderosa. Exactly like the Ponderosa. So, uh, as you can hear, uh, we're recording this on uh, right before 4th of July. Good Lord, every night there's more fireworks. And as you heard, our Golden Retriever, Boomer, does not care for fireworks. And I just, I'm just concerned that nobody's going to get any sleep because this dog is going to keep barking and uh, feel bad for the poor guy. But I feel even worse for my family because everyone's going to just keep waking up because this dog is, uh, he, he, he wants to get whoever is attacking your house with fireworks. Oh, well, you know, if you've got a dog that's got an ironic name, uh, its name is Boomer and it doesn't like things that go boom. Uh, don't don't worry too much about the irony keeping your family up at night because Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listeners Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. Yeah.